0: In God's economy, the little woman who, who uses her gift of serving and she cleans the nursery week after week, she's no less important than the pastor. She's no less important than Dr. Billy Graham. And her reward might even be greater than Dr. Billy Graham's if she's faithful to do what God has called her to do.
1: Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures. Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogi. Dr. Brogy is Senior Pastor at Community Bible Church of Buford, South Carolina. In our study of the Book of Romans, we have entered the practical or applicational section where the Apostle Paul tells us how we as believers in Christ ought to live. As we proceed in chapter 12 beginning in verse 3 today, Dr. Brogy unwraps your spiritual gift take your Bibles with you Romans
0: chapter 12 this morning Romans the 12th chapter we are working our way chapter by chapter and verse by verse through this great book and today we're on the subject of unwrapping your spiritual gift do you know that you are a gifted child on the day God saved you he gave you a birthday gift a special gift a proclivity a spiritual proclivity a spiritual talent in which to serve him and to serve his people And God calls us not only to discover our spiritual gift, but also to develop it, that we might utilize it in serving him as living and holy sacrifices. Now, last time, if you were here, we looked at the first two verses, and they're really given in the subject and in the context of spiritual gifts. Today we're just going to focus on verses 3 through 5, but he continues the whole discussion through the 8th verse. So we're going to read that passage as a unit. Romans chapter 12, the first 8 verses. I'm reading now from the New American Standard. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service and his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, Now, just to bring you into the context, if you remember three major divisions to Romans, chapters 1 through 8 is the doctrinal section. He deals with three major doctrines. Chapters 9 through 11, the national section, dealing with Israel, how they were elected, how they rejected the Lord's Messiah, and yet how someday they will be restored. And then when we come to chapter 12, we come to the practical section. In one word, the doctrinal section deals with our salvation, our justification. The national section deals with God's sovereignty. The practical section deals with our service, that God has called us to serve. So I asked you last time when God looks down at this local assembly, when he sees the people of Community Bible Church, what is it that excites him, that makes him smile? What is it that gives God pleasure? Well, among other things, it's when we are living in holy sacrifices. And we saw that worship was more than just singing. That's really a very, very small percentage of our worship. It's a critical and an important percentage. But worship is everything that you do for the living God. That's how the scripture defines it. And our worship is really takes place in two directions. The loss that we, that we serve as we share the gospel and try to win them to Christ, and those who are saved whom we are to serve. And we are not to serve them just any old way. We are to serve them in the area of our giftedness. And among other things, God wants people to be servants. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you've done unto me. And so when you're serving others in the body of Christ, ideally you are serving them out of the area of strength for which God has given you. And so this morning, if you already know your spiritual gift or gifts, that's wonderful. And I want you to pay close attention because since we're members one of another, God may want to use you to help someone else to discover their spiritual gift. But many Christians today don't even know what a spiritual gift is, much less what their particular gift is. Now, just again to bring you into the immediate context, he's talking about the will of God, but he applies it initially To the subject of spiritual gifts and so if we are to find and implement and develop our gift number one there must be an earnest consecration there must be earnest consecration we saw last time as the chapter opens therefore i urge you brethren and of course whenever you see the word therefore you ask what is the word therefore therefore And Paul uses the term in two different ways in the New Testament, sometimes to apply a specific point, and sometimes they are what we call summary therefores, where he's summarizing a whole section of Scripture. And there are three major summary therefores in the book of Romans. The first one comes in Romans 5 and verse 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. He's not speaking of the peace of God, but peace with God, for we were formerly enemies. That is the therefore of our justification of our salvation. The second major, therefore, comes in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the therefore of our security, of our assurance that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. The third, therefore comes in Romans 12 and verse 1, and it's really the therefore of our dedication. It's an urgent plea. Paul does not say, now listen, in light of everything you've learned, I think it would be a terrific idea if you served Jesus. He doesn't even say, well, I have a suggestion I'd like to make, or it would be nice if you did this. No, he says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, some of your translations say mercy, singular. And those were what we call dynamic equivalent translations where they're really not translating word for word but thought for thought. And you're going to lose something in the translation. The NIV would be typical of that. So that's why it's really important to have a formal equivalent translation where the translation is done more on a word for word basis. And the Greek New Testament says the mercies of God, because he's not speaking of a single mercy, but the multiplied mercies of God that he has spent 11 chapters in describing. If you're new to Romans, it might be helpful in this week to go back and just read the first 11 chapters and make a list of those expressions of mercy that God has given to us. But that becomes our motivation. And it's important to ask, what is it that's motivating me? Why do I do what I do? Why did I come this morning? Did I come out of guilt? Did I come out of fear? Am I trying to bargain with God? Am I trying to bribe God? Paul is saying, listen, on the basis of everything that I have taught you, I urge you. And it's hard to capture the strength of that word translated, I urge you. The ESV says, I appeal to you. The New English translation says, I exhort you. The New King James says, I beseech you. Another translation says, I plead with you. Still another, I beg you. It's like God Almighty. It's an incredible picture to me. That God, who is Lord over all, would get on his knees. Because it is a word of pleading. It's a word of begging. And he would beg us through the pen of the Apostle Paul, inspired by God the Holy Spirit. To present ourselves to Him as living and holy sacrifices. Now, with those introductory words, thinking about the multiplied mercies of God, please know that finding your spiritual gift, as we studied last time, initially involves a presentation. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Why your bodies? because your body represents all that you are. It's a comprehensive term. He's not just describing your skin and bones, but the fact that your soul, your mind, will, your emotions, your spirit that God has made alive when you were born a second time, all reside in your body. And so when he says to present your bodies, he's saying, lay on the altar all that you are, all of your desires, all of your disappointments, your intellect, your emotion, your will. You say, Lord God, I sacrifice everything to you. And we saw that this is a living sacrifice. So it expresses that this is ongoing. This is daily. This doesn't just happen once. This is a decision that we make each and every day when we get up to be daily sacrifices for the Lord and he calls this if you will notice again your spiritual service of worship and if you were here last time we noted that the word spiritual comes directly from greek into english and it's the word logical it's your logical service of worship your intelligent worship in the margin it says your rational service in crass terms paul is saying use your head in light of all that God has done for you, in light of all that God is doing for you, and in light of all that God has planned to accomplish yet for you, it is the most spiritual, the most rational thing to do. You were on your way to hell before God rescued you. And He saved you from that fate. You owe Him Everything. It is the most spiritual thing. So there's a presentation that must be made. And if you are not making that ongoing presentation as a believer, you'll either A, never discover your spiritual gift, or B, you will never develop it. In addition to finding your gift, it not only involves a presentation, it demands a transformation. It demands a transformation. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed... By the renewing of your mind. The Phillips translation in the 1950s says, don't allow this world to shape you into its mold. And it's an imperative, it's a command in the original, which implies that some of the Romans, these saved Romans, were letting the world shape them. It's very possible for anyone, myself included, to be shaped by the world. And if you're not allowing the living God as a living sacrifice to transform your thinking, then the world will win out in your thinking. Someone is going to wash your brain. People say Christians are brainwashed. Yes, we are. The question is, who's washing your brain? Is it the living God through the word of God, or is it the world system around us? And God wants us to renew our minds through the scripture. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed. Remold your mind. And we saw that the word transformed is the Greek word that comes directly into English as metamorphosis. You know what a metamorphosis is? And so we had those monarchs that we had as little eggs that hatched into caterpillars that formed into a chrysalis. And then one day they broke open and they were transformed from the inside out. And this is not just a single act in God's economy. It's an ongoing act where you are renewed. You're made initially a new creature in Christ Jesus. But as your mind is renewed daily and you feed on the Word of God, your life is transformed. And listen... If you haven't made the presentation or you've stopped presenting yourself to the Lord, the transformation will not take place. There are Christians who feed and study the Bible, but God can't really show them anything new that is going to be life-changing because they're not responding to that which God has shown them. God can't show us new truth if we're unwilling to obey the truth he has already shown us. So, finding your spiritual gift involves a presentation, it involves a transformation through the renewing of your mind, letting Scripture interpret Scripture, and that results in a realization. Again, in verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind, so that, here's the reason, so that you may prove what the will of God is. What is God's will? Three words, it is good, it is acceptable, and it is perfect in the greek translation of the bible david when he is offered saul's armor, and he refuses it he says no i can't take it i've not proved it i've not tested it god wants you to test him with his will it's much like god says test me now in this saith the lord in malachi 3 when it comes to giving a tenth of what he has entrusted to us and see if i will not open for you the windows of heaven typically it is a sin to test god almighty But God wants you to prove Him. He wants you to test Him. That His goodwill that you discover through this ongoing presentation, through this renewing of your mind, because as you think, so you become. And it is only as your mind is remolded through the scripture that you come to realize this is the best thing for me. And some of us started that way, but we've gotten sidetracked and we've kind of drifted a little bit into worldly thinking. And the devil has convinced you that his ways are better but you see god is not mocked whatever a man sows that he shall reap and god almighty knows that you will eventually be bitten by that decision you see when you sow a seed the fruit is not immediate it takes time for the seed to mature to develop and once it does a single seed produces far more fruit a single uh Tomato seed doesn't produce one tomato. It produces a plant with multiple tomatoes. And many times Christians years later will say, what have I done? How foolish was I? And then they come and say, Lord, here I am. Don't do that. Don't waste another day live for the Lord, be transformed, don't be conformed, prove God's will, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so if you are going to unwrap your spiritual gift, there is a principle of consecration. And if you don't make that decision, you will never find it. Why? Because only the yielded life, only the renewed mind is the life that God fills and transforms. And it is only as you grow in Christ that your life is changed and your spiritual gift begins to manifest it. God assumes in the New Testament that you can find out what your spiritual gift is. So when Peter addresses the subject in 1 Peter 4, he says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it, use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whenever you hear the word stewardship, you should think accountability. There's coming a day when I will, when you will. Not at the great white throne judgment, the judgment of unbelievers, but if you've been born again, there's a judgment just for Christians that's called the Bema Seat. And God is going to evaluate your life and my life. And one of the things that he's going to look at is the use and development of your spiritual gift. You won't be able to say to the Lord, well, Lord, yeah, I didn't, I didn't even know about spiritual gifts. Oh, no, 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 no. You are to grow. It's like a little baby. You know, I held a newborn recently, and I I thought, what's in this little guy? What's he made of? Will he be a football player? Will he be a musician? Will he be a scholar? We don't know. He's just a little baby. But as he grows and as he develops, his life and the giftedness and the talents and the things that God has made him for begin to manifest themselves. And there are some Christians, they just stay little, little babies. And that's why their spiritual gifts never really manifest themselves. Now, if you remember, there are four major passages, four central passages in the New Testament that deal with the subject of spiritual gifts. Now, the subject and the topic is addressed all the way through the New Testament, but there are four central passages. They're easy to memorize. Two fours, two twelves. First Peter four, Ephesians four, Romans 12 that we're in today, and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and it might be helpful to read through those. But what I find so interesting is that in all of the passages that deal with the subject of spiritual gifts, God will give a cry, a plea to consecrate yourself. Why? Because he knows. He knows that unless you are yielded to him and walking with him, your spiritual gift will either A, never manifest itself, or B, never really develop. And so Ephesians divides into two halves. One through three is what we believe. Four through six is how we behave. And so when you come to chapter four and verse one, it's an application of the first three chapters. It's a summary application. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And what does he do from there? He goes on, he talks all about spiritual gifts. But it starts with this consecrated walk in a manner worthy of our calling. 1 Corinthians 12-14 through 14 deals with the subject of spiritual gifts. But all the way scattered throughout the whole book... There's these pleas to walk with God. And so Paul will say, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you're not your own? You've been bought with a price, and so therefore you're to glorify God in your body. And like fashion, that's what he's doing here in Romans 12. We are to make this presentation, an ongoing presentation, as a living sacrifice. Is that true of you today? Could someone come and look at your life and say, there's a believer who is a living sacrifice, not for the world, but for the Lord God. And if you've made that decision, then this transformation through the renewing of the mind will bring a realization. And so I told you, it's almost like a formula in this verse. A presentation plus a transformation results in a realization. And what will you realize? Not just God's overall will for your life, but again, in the immediate context, you will discover what your spiritual gift is. Now, that's ground we've covered, but it was an important review because I wanted to set it in the context that Paul gives it. So beyond earnest consecration, there must be thoughtful evaluation. There must be thoughtful evaluation. Look now, if you will, at verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Notice what he does not say. He does not say, for through the grace given to the elders and the deacons and the paid staff. No, that's not what he sells for through the grace given to me I say to everyone he's writing to the Christians in Rome and by application you and I yes he's including the elders and the deacons but he has in mind every single born again blood-bought child of God he's speaking to brethren so don't leave here thinking that if I live some kind of a dedicated life I can merit heaven he's writing to people who have already been saved by grace apart from works that's why he calls them brothers Paul does not used the term loosely in the new testament these are people who are in christ and he is reminding them that what i'm about to tell you i am telling you from the perspective of grace and of course you have to know paul's past to appreciate that so now i'm meeting people 18 19 20 years old they don't even know who adam and eve is they've never heard of moses We are a totally biblical, illiterate society. I was in Rome, and I asked the hotel concierge about a particular place concerning the Apostle Paul. He said, I've never heard of this man, the Apostle Paul. That's Europe. 3% of the people in Italy even attend church. And we're becoming like that as a nation. So Paul was a man who was a Christ-hater. He was a man who attacked the church. He was a man who at one time was the big man in town. He was a member of the Supreme Court of Israel, what we call the Sanhedrin. He was a mega Pharisee of of sorts. But this big shot became a slave because this big shot was headed for hell, but God rescued him. He opened his eyes up that Jesus is the Messiah. He yielded his life. And so throughout his epistles, he usually opens them with the words, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. And so in light of the grace that God shows us all, Paul is asking us to make some personal evaluation. Look again at verse 3. I say to everyone among you, not to think, underscore that, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Second, think. But to think, third, think. So as to have, literally, sober thinking. It's the same word, it's just a compound word. We translate it here, sound judgment. But it's literally sober thinking. Four times into one verse, God crowds in the word thinking. Why does he do that? Because he wants us to think. And he wants us to think the right way. Because he knows there's extreme thinking. So first of all, you should not think with sinful exaggeration. You're not to think in an unhealthy way with sinful exaggeration. And that happens when you forget the source of your gifts. When your arm's out of joint and you're patting yourself on the back and telling yourself what a good job you've done. No, if God has given you the ability to preach, it is by His grace. If God has given you the ability to lead, it is by His grace. If God has given you the ability to show mercy, it is by His grace. If God has given you the gift of helps, it is by His grace. If God has given you some spiritual gift, some natural talent, which, by the way, is different from a spiritual gift. People tell me, well, I'm not a gifted person. What do you mean? Well, you know, I can't sing. Or Singing in the choir is not a spiritual gift. That's a natural talent. That's not a spiritual gift. Now, it might utilize a spiritual gift. Someone with the gift of serving may serve God's people through song, but singing is not a spiritual gift. There are 20 spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament, and you need to find out what they are. It's very important. Just like not only are there natural talents that are not spiritual gifts, there's required skills. Um, I had five years of piano. I can't play anything. My parents wasted the money and I tried hard at it. I just, I just was not wired that way to be a piano player. And so there are acquired skills, there are natural talents that often will interface with spiritual gifts, but every one of you this morning is a gifted person. On your spiritual birthday, God gave you a special ability to serve him and to serve his people. But when you think about your spiritual gift, remember God gave it to you. He's the giver of gifts. He's the source of all gifts. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I am what I am by the grace of God. Now, I'm not real big on poems. I know pastors who read them every week, and if that's what God's called them to do, great. But every once in a while, I come across a poem, and I saved this one for over 30 years because I think it it summarizes really well someone who thinks too highly of himself. Sometimes when you're feeling important, sometimes when your ego is up, sometimes when you take it for granted that you are the prize-winning pop, Sometimes when you think that you're going would leave an unfillable hole, just follow these simple instructions and see how it humbles your soul. Take a bucket and fill it with water. Put your hand in it up to the wrist. Pull it out, and the hole that's remaining is a measure of how much you'll be missed. You can splash all you wish when you enter. You may stir up the water galore, but stop, and you'll find that in no time it's right back where it was before. What's the point? None of us are indispensable to the cause of Christ. That's what he's saying here in verse 3. I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. There's only one indispensable person. And that's the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so some Christians have an exaggerated view of themselves in terms of gifts that they think they have, but they do not have. And real damage many times is done in the body of Christ when they assume areas of service that they're not gifted for. And so we're warned, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And God wants to remind us that how he has wired us is totally by his grace. So in God's way of thinking, there are no big shots in the body of Christ. You see, we tend to think that the people who are up front, who are very visible, are the important people. God doesn't think that way. That's the world's thinking. In God's economy, the little woman who who uses her gift of serving and she cleans the nursery week after week, she's no less important than the pastor. She's no less important than Dr. Billy Graham. And her reward might even be greater than Dr. Billy Graham's if she's faithful to do what God has called her to do.
1: There is none who is of any greater importance in the body of Christ than the head. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ himself. To listen to today's program again in its entirety, download the Search the Scriptures app, available in the iTunes Store or Google Play Store there you can listen to the entire roman series just look up search the scriptures with dr carl brogy in either the itunes store or google play store you can also listen online at searchthescriptures.org or request a hard copy by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program rom58 today's message is entitled unwrapping your spiritual gift Tomorrow, we'll continue to unwrap our spiritual gifts as part of our study in Romans as we search the Scriptures.